Father, thank you for the reminder of that reality that we're not alone. That as we walk through deep waters, that if any of us today feel like we're standing in the fire or walking in the valley of deep shadow, that you are always with us. We are not orphans, but we are your beloved children. So for all of those who feel like they're in the midst of something, we um, just pray that they would have a, a sense of the reality of your presence, that you would even show them this week in the middle of surgery or whatever's going on in their lives, that, uh, that you are present, that you are there, and that you care. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our ever-present shepherd and savior. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, Scott, thanks for sharing that. I'm excited about the Kairos. Um, it is a, um, an exciting program. I know several churches that do something similar, and the people who attend that, um, I've just heard many times, I know people in Kansas City and Wichita, other places who've gone through that, say that their, their understanding and their heart and passion for what God's doing in the world really catches fire through that. So I encourage you to be thinking about those dates in September. Um, just want to remind you, if, you, if you're kind of new here, have been coming the last several months and haven't had a chance to meet the staff, some of our, our deacons, our spiritual leadership, we're going to have a coffee this morning in rooms five and six, um, just kind of hang out, kind of our, a front porch environment to get to, to meet you and to have you meet some people, so we want to invite you um, back into that. Um, let me say something about this bulletin experiment. I told you we'd try it for a month, and this is the last day. Um, there were several reasons for it, but one of them was just trying to be good stewards of God's resources. And because, man, if you saw how much paper just was tossed every week, it was like it was a lot. And so we thought we'd give this a shot. And this week, Melissa sat down and figured, and she said that conservatively speaking, we were saving $90 a week just on paper costs alone and the copying, which would come to 4680 in a year. That's pretty pretty good savings, right? We want to be good stewards of what God is doing and of the money that He gives here. I mean, if, if we were to do that for 10 years, that's almost $50,000. And that's not even counting the cost. She's actually, it's it saved her time on that, that she's been able to put in other things. And if you added the time in, it might add another 50% to that. I'm not sure. But thanks for letting us do that, try that experiment. Um, that was one of the things we were wanting to see is just how it would impact that. So wanted to let you guys know that. Um, speaking of the bulletin, I don't think I grabbed the notes page, but there are note pages on the, the seats. We're going to be finishing up our series today, and if you want to take notes, those are just laying around out there. If your seat, if your row runs out, there's probably some in front or behind you. Um, had a birthday a little over a week ago, and uh, one of you was kind and sent me this. I really loved it. Um, I feel great at 42. I just want you to know. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny, so I had to, to share that with all of you guys. Um, also, one other thing, next week Brent McCrory is going to be preaching from up here. The staff, we're going to be going to Florida to a, to a retreat, not a retreat, a conference called Exponential. Jordan and I have been the last two years, and we were wanting to get more of us there. It, it's really powerful and impacting. has a lot to do with what we're talking about today, which is cause living on mission for God, so... Um, Brent's going to be doing that, and I'm, I appreciate him being willing to do that. 
So today we're going to finish up this uh, series we've been doing on the disciples' rhythm of living into the rhythm that Jesus lived, which is, if you remember, um, our text is Luke 6, and it's on the back of the card we gave out, um, Luke 6, where we learned that his rhythm, that he lived his life, was from solitude into community and then into ministry, Um, that he... This was the rhythm of his life, that he lived the connected life, that he was connected deeply to God, connected deeply to others, and was connected deeply to uh, the world and mission. And so his rhythm is to be our rhythm, and so we want to take this upon ourselves. We want to live from Christ to community to cause. We want that to be the rhythm of our life. We want to be living up, in, and out because that's the life of somebody that's fully devoted. And if you live this way, your devotion to God will actually increase. It's kind of a reinforcing uh, circle. We want to have passionate spirituality. We want to be an authentic community, and we want to have missional zeal. And so today, we're going to focus on cause, on the last of these. We're going to focus on the out of this rhythm. And so focus on mission. No question as to that one, right? This one, again, it's, I've heard pepperoni, crop circles, cows, pepperoni pizza. That one's pretty clear, right? What that one is, I think. Expect the missiles on the side, like we've got the lollipops, the people, and the, the rockets, or the trees that we talked about last week, the redwoods. So we've got the redwoods in there. Um, even kind of have a crop circle in there with the trees, so the other trees. So I want to look at Luke 6. This is part of the text we've been looking at about his rhythm and just want to read this. So when morning came, he went down with them and he stood on a level place. And a large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. The people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So after he'd spent a night in prayer with the Father, He gathered the twelve, and then they went out in ministry. And Jesus, I mean, if you read the Gospels, he spent significant time living on mission. It was an essential element to his life. He never lost sight of the Father's vision to reach out to a dark and a dying world. And he spent lots of time intentionally reaching out to people. Um, They came to him to hear from him and to be healed by him, and he loved and ministered to them. Luke 24 says, powerfully in word and in deed, with what he taught and with what he did. In his own words, this is what he said about living on mission in John 5 17 when he said, My father's always at work, and to this very day, I too am working. And so that's his pattern. And that's what he modeled to his followers, the 12. He invited them into this rhythm with him. Um, And he not only invited them to join him in his mission, but he sent his followers on the exact same mission. In this text that we've been looking at in Luke, I find it really fascinating. If you look at Matthew and Mark, the the parallel texts of it, because it says in Luke that when the morning came after his time with the Father, that he called to him, the 12, that he designated them as apostles. That's just, that's from the Greek, literally, apostolos, it just means a sent one. So he designated them as his 12 main sent ones. Um, Math in Mark, he uses the language instead of called and designated, appointed the 12. But both in Mark and Matthew, they both really emphasize in the text even more than Luke uh, 
that he sent them out. He sent them out. Not just the up, not just the in, but also the out. Um, and he gathered them, if you remember, one, that they might be with him in community, with him in community, and two, that he might send them out. And he gave them authority to cat, drive out impure spirits, to heal every kind of disease. Um, again, the word authority appears in, in Mark. And what we see is in Mark, and then Matthew especially, as soon as um, this kind of text ends, Mark, Matthew adds these details, that these 12 he sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, but I want you to go rather to the lost sheep of Israel and go proclaim this message. And what was the message he proclaimed? That what's come near? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Matthew, being a good Jew, would never say even God, so he says the kingdom of heaven. Um, but this was the message, which we're going to come back to in just a minute. He told them to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse those who had leprosy, to drive out demons. Because as he said, freely you have received, so freely give. So we even see in here, we talked about this when I talked about being on mission in green space. Presence, we see presence because he sends them and tells them to go. But we also see that we were blessed to be a blessing. And he says, you have freely received, so I want you to go out and to be a blessing. So those two components are all a part of what they were about. And at the end of his ministry, he told them, his followers, he said, as the Father has sent me, I send you. And then in Matthew 28, he says, I want you to go now and make disciples, not just of Israel, but of all nations, of all nations. And that's what the Kairos course is about. And that was not just their mission, it's also our mission. Um, this last one is called the Great Commission. We had a mission speaker a couple years ago who I had never heard this, but I thought it was really cool and it spoke to me. He called it the Great Co-Mission. It is our mission that we are to be on with God. And we are also sent, and we are to go. Um, Jesus is not just the model of the 12, but he's our model of how to live into this rhythm. And if he placed a high priority on ministering to and reaching the lost world, then we need to follow that example. We need to be living a missional life. This is our calling. And so to me, when I was thinking about this, the key text, there's actually two of them, Colossians and 2 Corinthians. And I'd like you to stand and read this with me. These are the key texts I'd like to focus on this morning. And we'll start with Colossians 1, and then we'll just jump down to 2 Corinthians 5. So read with me. God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Jesus. And through the Messiah, God, and is reconciling to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Through the Messiah, God reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself through the Messiah, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this message of reconciliation. So we are the Messiah's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for the Messiah when we implore people to be reconciled to God. For God made him who never sinned 
to be the sin offering for our sin, so that through Him we might become the righteousness of God. We are workers together with God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, before I come back to this text, let me just, uh, and this is on the, the back of the notes page. This is actually, this stuff all fits together, and to me it's really important. Um, I want to go back and do just a little review from a sermon I gave a year ago on the good news or the gospel. And I don't know if you remember, but I asked the question, what was the gospel that Jesus preached? And as we looked at various texts, these are just a few of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Every time in the gospels, if you type in gospel, and when Jesus said it, every time except one, every time He said the word gospel, there was always another phrase attached to it. It was the gospel that he proclaimed was the gospel. It was the gospel his followers, he told him to proclaim. Gospel of what? What did we just read? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. That's what the gospel was. And you can go back and listen to that a year ago if you want to. But every time the word good news was on his lips, it was always the good news of the kingdom. Um, and so that is why the good news of the kingdom, if it's the story that we, went, that we talked about last year. It is God's story, that in Jesus, God was decisively breaking into the world which He had created, a world that had gone wrong because of sin, and He did this in order to bring His creation in its totality back under His loving reign, that's why it's the gospel of the kingdom, back under His reign as the king, and in order to begin the process of restoring His creation back to its original design. That's the good news of the coming of God's kingdom. It was the coming of the rightful king into his creation to bring it all back to himself and to restore all of it back to the way he intended. So just a little bit of review. So really, when we talk about the mission of God, it's one gospel and it's really, it's one mission. Um, it is this great restoration on the lips of Jesus when he says when he returns at the renewal of all things. It's on the lips of Peter when he says that again when Jesus returns it will be to restore everything. And it's on the lips of Paul when he says that, Jesus, that God through Jesus is going to bring all things underneath one head. This was um, the mission. It's the one gospel. It's the one mission. So his mission was restoring all things back to God one person, one place at a time. And that's why when Lisa was actually designing this, this image really caught her eye because she thought it so reflected the totality of God's mission. And they just said it in the video. I liked how they said it. They said the heart, or we could say the centerpiece of that mission, is God's desire of restoring lost people back to Himself. So He wants to restore all things, but at the heart of that is His desire to restore lost people. And as we're going to see in a moment, um, on the cross, Jesus was setting the stage to accomplish both aspects of that mission, the restoration of everything and the restoration of people back to Himself. And that's why when Lisa made this, she intentionally put the people at the center because that is the heart of this large mission that God is on. So when I come back to this text, both of these elements of the good news of Jesus are in this text. This, his desire to restore all things back to Himself and His desire to restore lost people back to himself. So if you look at this text, I've got it kind of colored. There is a word repeated that's a very significant word that's repeated in here six times. Can anybody see it? What do you see? Reconcile. That he's reconciling to himself all things. Reconciled, reconciliation, reconciling, reconciliation, reconciled. 
That's a really important theme to Paul, important in these texts, that he's about this idea of reconciling. So when Colossians, when Paul's writing about God's mission of reconciliation, what's his desire? What's he wanting to re- reconcile to himself in Colossians? What's he wanting to reconcile? What's it say? To himself, what? All things. So we could say, I think on the handout sheet, it's all creation, that he wants to reconcile all creation. And how's he going to do that? What's it say? It says, through his blood shed on the cross. So when Jesus is going to the cross, he is going to the cross to renew all things, to pay what it takes, the price, to win his creation back. But when we get to Corinthians, what is he reconciling here in Corinthians? What's the words? What is he reconciling to himself in Corinthians? The world. And when he says the world, is he talking about the globe with all the continents? What's he talking about? He's talking about us, right? John 3.16, for God loved the world in this way. All people, God loved the world in this way. In 1 Timothy 2.4, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Let us never forget that, that God desires for all to be saved. And what's the basis of the reconciliation of all people to himself? The ability of a person to get back into relationship with God. What's the basis in Corinthians? It was the cross in Colossians. What's the basis of my restoration to God in Corinthians? It's in the green. What is it? Well, God had made him who never sinned to be the sin offering for our sin. And guess where he did that? He did that on the cross. So the cross not only is for the restoration of all things, the cross is for the restoration of my relationship with himself. So in and through Jesus, God longs to reconcile to himself all things and to reconcile to himself all people, seeking to restore all things to God, one person, one place at a time. The heart, the centerpiece of all of that is restoring lost people back to himself. Now, Matt Chandler, I want to do something with this. I want to give you a visual for this. Matt Chandler in his book, The Explicit Gospel, an excellent book, by the way, gave me some language, some handles for these two components of the gospel of the kingdom, of God's mission. And here's what he called this. He said, one is the gospel from the air, the reconciling to himself all things, and the reconciling of people to himself, he says, is the gospel from the ground. And I really like this imagery, and so I want to flesh it out for you. Um, If I were to diagram it, it kind of looks like this, the gospel from the air, the gospel from the ground. There's the good news of the kingdom of God over this side. His mission, the one mission, is on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel from the air is the macro view. This is the reconciling of all of creation. The gospel from the ground is the micro view. It's the reconciling of all people of his passion to bring lost people back to himself. Because as Peter says in his second epistle, that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. So let me take his language and illustrate it this way. Um, Take a look at this picture. It is a fertile valley that's laid out before us in the majestic uh, Sangha de Cristo Mountains of Colorado. Where else, right, would I put this, but in Colorado. Um, In the air, you see a commuter jet. On the ground, you see a farmer with his cow. Now, if if you're flying in the jet, flying cross-country, you see this whole thing from the perspective of the air, right? 
you're seeing it from the perspective of the air. If you're on the field tending your crops, you see this from the perspective from the ground. From the air, if you're in the jet, this is what it looks like. And that literally is that location that I'm talking about. That's what it would look like from the air. Uh, from the ground, what do you think it looks like? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Free Chick-fil-A today for anybody who will drive to <laughs> Dallas, Texas and show them this PowerPoint. Uh, <laughs> okay? That's what it looks like from the ground. Okay? But what I want you to see is that both perspectives are right. Does that make sense? Both perspectives are right. They're the same thing. It's just from a different distance. One from far above, the other at close range. One on a passenger jet seeing it from the air, seeing the larger perspective, somebody on the ground with his cow, seeing it up more close and more personal. And I think it's the same way with the good news of Jesus. Um, it's the same way. With a kingdom, this one gospel, this one message, is that we can look at it with a macro view of His reconciling of all creation. We see it from up high, but there's also seeing it from the ground the micro view of reconciling all people to himself. And we see so much of that in the gospel, of him interacting with individuals, loving them and saving them, and giving them his grace, bringing healing um, to them. So I think we need to be able to keep both of these in perspective. The whole story, um, that God desires to functionally reign over all of his creation again and to make it right, his whole creation. But we also need to keep this smaller micro perspective in mind this uh, from the ground that uh, where is it's my sphere of influence I've got the big picture but I also am focusing on my own sphere of influence where I work my neighbors the people who are around me and again above all else that I have a passion for the lost people around me because that's the heart that's the center of God's mission um, is that helpful I don't know it sure was helpful for me um, but we do need to keep both perspectives on mine uh, in our mind, I think. Together, they help keep me focused. It's like one pair of glasses with two lenses. Um, both are needed. There is one gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom. There is one mission. It's the reconciliation of all things. Um, but two perspectives, that gospel from the air, the big thing that he's trying to do, but also that gospel from the ground, which is the people who live around me that are needing so much to have his touch and to hear about his love for them. So I think they're all essential. So, so tell me, I don't know, is that as clear as mud? Uh, and sorry, there's no space on that handout, that bulletin thing to, to draw that, sorry, but um, that's why we have blank pages in the back if you ever want to do this. So I want to come back to the text. So now that we've got that idea, we've got up here, we've got the gospel from the air, and to me down here is the gospel from the ground, the big picture the more up close and personal. I want to show you one more thing in this text that I think is really important. Look at the words in blue about this mission. Um, because he gave us two things related to reconciliation. What's the first one in the blue? What's the first thing in regard to this reconciliation? He gave us a, a ministry of reconciliation, and he gave us a what? A message of reconciliation, a ministry and a message. And then he gives us a title as his followers who live on mission with him. What is our title? What does he call us? 
His ambassadors, that God is making His appeal through us. Like, wow, can you believe that? That's a lot of responsibility. That can feel heavy, but to me that's very exciting. Um, that I am on a co-mission with God, that He is using us as His key instruments of His mission in the world. I love this language um, and this passage because of this ambassador language. Um, it's a central concept in this passage. And I want to show you the beauty of this. I want to show you the beauty of both of these texts, but especially this Second Corinthians text um, and the beauty of his language. I want to take and focus on this idea of ambassadors, okay? So here's a few ambassadors to the United States. Uh, I will not try to say all of their names, especially that one dude, Samir. That's quite a, quite a last name. Uh, from Japan, the ambassador is Ichiro Fujisaka, not Ichiro Suzuki, who played for the Seattle Mariners, but Ichiro Fujisaka. If there were any Japanese in the audience, they would appreciate that. Um, but here's what I want you to realize about an ambassador. They have two parts of their mission, because an ambassador is sent on a mission, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. But there's two things that they do. The first thing an ambassador does is they show. They show. Ambassador is sent to represent their people, their culture, their nation, their government. They're sent to show by their behavior what their country's culture is really like. They show in their actions who they are as a people, what they value and the way they live. That's a really powerful concept, isn't it? That they are to show what their culture is when they're in another culture. But not only are they to show, but the second part of their mission is this, they are to share. An ambassador is sent to speak on behalf of their people, their culture, their nation, their government. They are sent to speak to the issues that concern their nation. They share with words their country's values and their country's purposes. You see, an ambassador has a ministry and they have a message. They have a ministry and they have a message. We are both to share and to show. Like Jesus in Luke 24, 19, where it says that He powerfully ministered to people in word and deed. In word and deed. He shared and He showed. And what we show, I think what we show is what His kingdom is like. By the way, we live as a community, which I talked about last week. When we live as a loving community, the only thing Jesus, by the way, said, the way the world knows that He was sent, is if we live in unity, John 17, and if we love each other, John 13. If we cannot be unified and we cannot love each other, the world concludes that we're just a waste of time, okay? So we show by how we are in community together, and we show by meeting loving acts of service, practically being the touch of God's love to a hurting world. That is our ministry. And we have a message we share about His kingdom through our words. We share with people the good news of Jesus, the King who left the comforts of His, His eternal home to become human, to take my sin upon Himself, to live the life I should have lived, to die the death I should have died in order to bring me and you back into an intimate relationship with Him. This is our mission. Does that make sense? This is our mission as ambassadors. It's our mission. Look at some screen captures I took from some websites of some embassies. Um, check this out. Look how often the word ministry 
or mission appear on the website of an embassy. Isn't that amazing? Uh, look at this. Look how often we see ministry, the minister, a ministry of, ministries, the mission, how this language is so much into what an ambassador is and what uh, about mission. All of this language. That's why I think Paul's use of this is so fascinating to me. Even this on the website of the embassy from Iraq, there's a message from the ambassador to the United States. Isn't that cool? They have a ministry, they have a message. They show and they share. You know, as I was looking at this, I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about that idea of a minister. Usually the people we call ministers are who? Yeah, people like, like me, so that if I'm in Applebee's like I was a couple months ago watching... Uh, the national championship game because we don't have ESPN and a guy next to me asked what do I do and I was kind of fumbling and then when I finally said you know why I'm a minister you know and and he just kind of took his chips and salsa and (laughs) scooted over a foot and that was the end of that conversation right that's how people think but in the Bible who really are the ministers who are the ambassadors look at 2 Corinthians 3 16 Paul says he has made us made is that singular or plural is he saying made me he said has made us as what competent ministers of this new covenant. I'm not a minister. I mean, I am. I'm not the minister or one of the ministers. What are all of us? We are all ministers. We're all ministers. And when I was thinking about that, I looked in, because you know I do this. I look at really weird details on things, right? And so I was like, well, who is that dude? And I was like, who is this minister at this mission? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the just. Look at that. They're ministers. They're ambassadors, right? Or the Hastings are ambassadors. The Lipperts, they're ministers of a new covenant. They're ambassadors. Randall. Kieran loves following Randall on his Snapchat. Um, the Robert family. Jaden, an ambassador at Emporia State University. I mean, I could ju- we could just go through all these. That's Megan. By the way, doesn't it look to you like Megan hangs out with Jesus? I got this off Facebook. I'm like, she's really good on this part of this calling, of this rhythm. She hangs out with Jesus a lot. Uh, Maya, Gary, we are ambassadors. We're all ambassadors. You know, when I had Gary up here a couple weeks ago, I told you he's my pastor. And Gary, I didn't feel like I did justice to you that day. And I thought, I've got to show Gary like in his normal day robe. If he's my pastor... Um, what's he look like? <laughs> Even with his holy chief's cap on, brother. I love you, man. Um, but I want to tell you, though, the guy who really was the model for this, you and I don't hold a candle to that dude. So, uh, But anyways, uh, there's Gary, who is a minister, and he is. Um, so what's my job then? Or, or Jordan's job. Ephesians 4 says this, God gave some to be pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to be ambassadors, to do His work, to be ministers. And over the next couple of years, that's part of my vision, is I want to equip and help you guys to learn how to, how do you take what's in here into Monday? How does Sunday become Monday? And that's something that we're going to get to. But aren't those rich texts? Those texts, aren't those rich? Isn't that really powerful in explaining um, the mission? 
So, we've always been talking each week about the two, two errors. First is the unbalanced life. If I'm just one-dimensional, if that's all I'm living for, if I'm not living, walking with Him, and I'm not in community, I'm just this individual service provider. That's all I am. And one who won't have much effect because Jesus said, the core of everything is I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, then you will bear much what? Then you'll bear much fruit. But without me, nothing over here. So I'd be a very ineffective if that's all I focus on. But I don't think most of us focus on just that. I think where we tend to be unbalanced is we have two of these, but we're really weak on one. Where we, if we're strong on Christ and we're strong in community, but if we're weak on this one, if we're good at up and in, but we're not good at out, then what we are is we just become an inward-focused sectarian group. That's all we are. We're just a group that meets with God, meets with each other, meets with God, meets with each other, have, you know, where we're each in four or five Bible studies every week, and it's time with God and time with each other, time with God and time with each other, but not living on mission with Him, not being ambassadors to the places that God has put us. An inward-focused sectarian group, sadly, is diseased and stagnant. I don't remember who told me this. I was talking to somebody about this. It might have been my son. I don't remember. But they said, you know, if that's like becoming a refrigerator that's only used for storage, a closed place where if the food's never taken out, it just goes bad inside, a place where we get stagnant. So we need to remember we are blessed to be a blessing, not to hold on to our blessings. We're to be channels of God's blessing, not the terminals of His blessing. I think Brent told me that um, a blessing, when you hold it, um, will spoil eventually and will even become a curse. So we don't want to shrivel up. We don't want to become like the church in Europe, which was a lot about this and a lot about this and none of this. And now, as I was telling somebody this week, you go to Scotland, and every town you go through, there's one church, and most of those churches are disco clubs or museums or coffee shops because the church has died over there, and you don't want to become that kind of place. Um, I said a few weeks back when we gathered and held hands in a circle, and we were first focusing inward, I said, when our focus remains only in here in this place and on us, that's when complaints and conflict are likely to begin in here. Because it's never meant to be solely about us. And as, I, as we turned outward that day holding hands, because we are to be focused outward, um, I just, as National Community Church says, I said that morning, we're spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. We do not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Okay, a few things I want to do to wrap up. Um, the second error always with this is the reverse life. And I've told you I struggle with this. It's so easy for me to live, to get up every morning on a mission. And then I go to my community and then God gets my leftovers. That's, it's so easy for me to live that way. I want to say something about the reverse life. And I am going to actually quote Henry Nouwen. And again, this is powerful. We'll have it back there one more Sunday if you haven't gotten it. It is worth the read. Um, this from Solitude to Community to Ministry. But in this article, he, he explains the necessity of grounding all of this rhythm in the intimacy with the Father. This abiding relationship has to come first because it's in that place in solitude where I'm really grounded in Him. And here's what he says. 
The time with God in solitude is the place in which you can listen to His voice and hear Him call you beloved and ground your identity. Time with God creates the space in which we can truly love and serve others. When you do not claim your identity in Him, you cannot walk freely in the world. That's a really powerful statement. When you do not claim your identity in Him, you cannot walk freely in the world. You have to listen to the voice who calls you the beloved because otherwise you are going to run around in these two environments begging for affirmation, for praise, and for success. Ministry is not, first of all, something you do, although it calls you to do many things. Ministry is something that you have to trust. If you know you are the beloved, you cannot do other than minister. Jesus wanted one thing, and it was to do the will of the Father, the will of God. He was completely obedient. He was the completely obedient one, the one who was always listening to God. And out of this listening came an intimacy with God that radiated out to everyone that Jesus saw and everyone that He touched. That's where ministry starts, because your freedom is anchored in claiming your belovedness. That allows you to go into this world and touch people, heal them, and speak with them. Isn't that powerful? I think that's very powerful. So remember this, when you do not claim your identity in Him, you cannot walk freely in the world. And what about community? What about this one? Why is it so important that solitude come before community? If we do not know we are the beloved sons and daughters of God, we're going to expect someone in this community to make us feel that way. They cannot. I cannot. Jordan cannot. Brent cannot. Steve Lowen cannot. David cannot right? We cannot do that to each other. We'll expect someone to give us that perfect, unconditional love that only He can give. Without being grounded deeply in God, we will grab primarily onto people and human companionship and expect from them a level of love and affection and acceptance that they cannot give. If we want other people to give us something that only God can give, we become a demon. Isn't that a strong statement? We say, love me, and before you know it, we become violent, demanding, and manipulative. Community is not loneliness grabbing onto loneliness. It's solitude grabbing onto solitude. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in a very famous book and a famous quote, says, Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. And I would say to he who cannot be alone, beware of living on mission because you'll do damage to yourself and to those that you're ministering to, because what you'll be seeking from them is your identity if it's not grounded in Him. So, the reversed life, let's be really careful of that, that we live in this rhythm from Christ to community to cost. All right, so mission is today, the focus cause. We have got to get God's mission into our blood. It has to get into our heart, into our passion center, and not just, um, not just in our intentions, but in our practice, and not just individually, but corporately. We have got to get on mission with God. There is a lost world rushing headlong to an eternity without Him. And we've got to have the heartbeat of God for that world. And we live in a world that's broken and full of pain and suffering. And He's called us to be ambassadors and to be a part of the restoration of all things, so that I am working... In, with one person, with one place to be restoring things back to Him. We are not called to simply huddle as a believing crowd living in our Christian bubble. Last month, as I said, I think every week, it has to be more than us 
And it has to be more than here. It has to be. One reason I think mission's important. Um, last week I told you over the years, I have seen that if I am, that community is a catalyst for my relationship with God, and I find the same thing with cause, living on mission with Him. That when I live for kingdom causes, it catalyzes my walk with Him. Um, it catalyzes us to walk more deeply with Him when we're truly living on mission with Him. Living on mission keeps us from becoming stagnant. This week, Jordan showed me something he wrote, and in it he said this, students who submit themselves to service regularly are putting themselves in position to have a faith that will last. Engaging in service by giving our time, our money, our talents, it captures our heart and it energizes our faith. When I read that, I, couldn't, I, I said, I can't agree more with this. In all of life, this is true. You never have a totally vested interest in anything until you are invested in it with your blood, your sweat, and your tears. So that's why living for God on mission to me is a force multiplier. It catalyzes my relationship with God, and it will catalyze a healthy community if we're, if we're living for this. If all we're living for is to be with each other, that's going to get stagnant, but this will catalyze all of these. If you want your faith to come alive, you get involved in mission and bringing lost people to Him. Uh, there is nothing like it in the world that will fire you up and bring you closer to God. So, the questions for the week are this. Am I growing out? I don't mean this way. Since I, don't, I lost my main racquetball partner, I have a problem with growing out these days, but I uh, got to play yesterday with Stephen. Uh, he took me out to the tool shed. Anyways, am I growing out, meaning am I growing out on mission? Is there space in my life for God's mission? Am I living connected to just the lost? Forget the other. Am I con living connected to the lost? Regularly spending quality time with them, being present and being a blessing? Am I intentionally? And, and really, just focus on one. Who is your one? Is there one person you're praying for, one person you're trying to build a relationship? You are blessing them, you're meeting their needs, and you're praying for God to open the door to share your faith. Are you living for one? And who am I intentionally praying for and intentionally connecting with right now? That's my way of asking that question. Who is my one? What steps can I take to be more intentional about incorporating this dimension in my life? All right, let me wrap up. Finning up the series, I just want to make sure to put the focus on the whole rhythm that it is from Christ to community to cause and the challenge, let us live into that rhythm. If you're here, if this is your first week, you haven't been here the last three, we have some cards that Lisa made that have the rhythm on it, that have the passage on the back to put in your Bible to remind you to live this rhythm. If you don't have one of these, I've got a bunch up here to come get. I think I saw Gabe out there somewhere. Where's Gabe? Did I see Gabe? I thought I saw Gabe. Gabe, if you're in here, come get a card and I have something else for you. Up there? Okay, I'll get him second service. The rhythm of Jesus from solitude to community to ministry, from Christ to community to cause, from up to in to out. That was the rhythm of his life and it's to be our rhythm. 
Barry Jones, in a really good book, says many Christians today suffer from a kind of collective arrhythmia, that we don't live in a rhythm of our life. And so, let that not be true of us. Jesus lived out of these relationships, and we are too. And we are convinced at 12th that life begins with Christ. And if you don't know Him, that's where true life begins. Life begins with Christ. Life is better together. But not just better together, life is also better on mission. We're convinced of these three things. And that's why we gather weekly as a community to worship Him so we can be formed by Him, to be sent by Him. And we want this to be the DNA of 12th, the DNA of a disciple. We want it to be the DNA of 12th, that this gets in our blood, this rhythm, not just in our intentions and our desire, but in our practice, not just individually, but corporately. All right. Would you stand with me? I would like to say a prayer of mission together. I'd like to close with this. It is a famous prayer. It's an adaptation of St. Francis of Assisi's famous prayer. So would you join me? And let's, let's really pray this to him. It's, it can get easy probably to like, oh, these are words I'm reading on a screen. Let's make this to him, okay? So, oh Lord, make me an instrument of your peace that I may say love, so love where there is hatred, that I may forgive where there is insult, that I may bring unity where there is discord, that I may speak the truth where error prevails, that I may bring faith where there is doubt, that I may awaken hope where despair torments, that I may bring light where darkness reigns, that I may bring joy where sadness resides. And again to that, God's people say, amen. So let us go this week on mission and be a sent community, being a blessing and a presence with people around us. So you are sent.